welcome to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. And first up today, I'm joined by Byron MacDonald of REA MacDonald in Lucan and REA spokesperson for a pretty significant report that issued in the last day or two. Barry, you're very welcome. Thank you, Carol. Um, so I mentioned REA has issued, uh, REA routinely issues reports on house prices and they're always met with the same amount of interest as other house prices. You know, it's, it's become a bit of a national pastime. But this one is really significant because it's actually putting numbers on things that we've been speculating about since the outbreak of COVID. So you might just talk us through some of the headline figures in the report. Yeah, thank you, Carl. So yeah, well, on the on the, the, the actual report and the survey, just by way of background, our survey comes out on a quarterly basis. And what we do, just so your listeners can understand how it's based, we quite simply ask our agents who operate all around the country, what are they selling your typical average three-bedroom semi-detached house for in their area? And it's just the simplicity of it has helped us track the kind of levels. And it's been unerringly accurate since we began it in 2013, when you look backwards. What we believe is the kind of USB of the, the survey is that it's based on actual selling prices. It's not based on guide prices, which can be so misleading, as, as you well know. Um, and it's not based on sold prices, which can have a time lag issue. It's based on real time sale agreed prices. So we believe it can be quite a good indicator of where the market is at any snapshot point in time. But our latest report has indicated that Unfortunately, more bad news for buyers. Values have gone up right across the country. But where the detail shows the, the real interesting facts is when you look at the locations where those increases are at their highest levels. And that isn't in the usual urban city centres. It's actually more in rural areas in regional Ireland, which has seen the highest price rises. And if I can just give you some of the figures, um, Dublin, Galway, Cork, Limerick, for sure, they've all gone up in value. But you're looking at an average over the summer three months of about one and a half to two and a half percent in each of those cities. But it's outside of there where we've seen a far more, I will say, alarming rate of growth in values. Tipperary led the way this time for whatever reason that they've seen an increase over the summer of a staggering 9.2% on their typical three-bedroom semi-detached house. And this is mirrored in other counties, maybe not quite as extremely, but Donegal is up over 8%, Kilkenny's up 7%. The list goes on right across the country. And so what we're seeing, we believe, is a continuation of the, the, the this, what I refer to as a phenomenon that begun during lockdown, which is buyers are looking outside of the cities again. They're, they're, you know, it happened during the, the peak of the market back in the early 2000s. And I think that was very much only led because of of, of, of the costs in the cities. It was pushing people out. They just literally, the affordability issue. Whereas now I think there's a little bit more to it. And I think people are embracing the opportunities that are being given to them to change their lifestyle, to move out, to get more space. Broadband obviously is a huge factor. It's been rolled out right across the country and it's made places wide open for business that maybe it was impossible, you know, a short number of years ago. Also, employers have changed their attitude. They, you know, a lot of employers have have come up to the mark and given their employees opportunities to work remotely or at least have a flexibility with regards going into the office. You know, Barry, I can't remember a time when 
there has been so much change, but there are so many reasons behind this change. And normally we can attribute something. So, you know, during the crash, we knew what was happening. As recovery took hold, we knew what was happening. Now, the dynamics are, are really so much more complicated. Um, and you and I both entered this industry before there was even a property price register. You know, we didn't have accurate data. And so that's why I think uh, we're so appreciative and we welcome any sort of, of data. And actually, I wasn't aware that your stats were based on sale agreed. I actually presumed it was sold. So that actually gives a more timely um, and and up-to-date feel. But, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in that I think REA are uniquely positioned to capture is sentiment. So you understand your, okay, your agents are meeting people as they are relocating to these areas. I presume they're capturing some insights into why these people are returning and do they have a connection to the area? Yeah. So again, getting back to the way the survey and the simplicity of the survey, when we issue the, the, the survey, we issue an Excel report to all our agents and quite simply, it's asking them about, yes, that value of the three bedroom semi-detached house, but there are obviously a few other questions, but there's not many. One is how long are they finding it's taking to sell a house? Uh, what le- what type of ratio they're seeing between buyers from cash to mortgage buyers, and also the really where the real interesting facts come and the real interesting nuggets is we just ask our agents to take a moment and write down a few comments on the market, and that's obviously where the meet the sentiment comes in. So it's all great having the data and the numbers, but to hit, read the sentiment, otherwise we're scratching our heads in some circumstances, wondering well why is this happening? And so in the latest report, I know our our our, our our member in, in Roscommon, Seamus Carthy, he had indicated that he's finding approximately three quarters of his buyers are families returning from either Galway or Dublin back to the Roscommon area. Now, he always had buyers that were coming from those areas who always maybe planned to raise their kids where they grew up um, as, 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 as adults. But there, he's just finding that the quantum, that the percentage of buyers that are making that move is much, much higher. And he, like I actually spoke to him when the press release was coming out just to get further discussion with him. And he just he just was really surprised by the, the, the step up in quantum of that phenomenon. OK, and again, you know, to have that amount that actually have links to the area, I think that that's one interesting perspective. And I wonder, is that is that mirrored across the West Coast? Because I think there are parts of the West Coast that tend to attract people like, for example, uh, West Cork or Connemara, they have in the past tended to attract people who don't have connections to the area. Absolutely. They see the beauty, perhaps, and the remoteness and the, the wildness of the and wild the Atlantic. Broadband. Exactly. It's and it's great broadband there. Yeah, now. it's now quite possible that, that, that a lot of them can do the majority of their work. And, and even if you are, you know, out, we'll say, admittedly not too far beyond the likes of Galway City, you're still not too far from Dublin that if you did need to do that one day in the office a week, it's it's, it's highly possible. Look at our, our friends in America, you know, a two hour commute over there is 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 nothing to some people. It's it's kind of staggering to us because it wasn't something we have seen before. But if it's something you're doing once a week or once a fortnight or once a month, you know, for a lot of people, look, it's not for everybody, but for a lot of people to live 
in a place like that to be able to buy property that's far more affordable. There, it, it's a fantastic thing we're seeing. And it is bringing fresh life into some villages that maybe had really suffered from, you know, the youth growing up and leaving, going to the cities and going abroad. And now there's fresh life coming into these places with enthusiasm for the area and, you know, and a want to be there and, you know, and want to invest in the community bringing new businesses and business yeah. ideas. But actually, you've touched on something important there, and that is a commute, because quite frankly, 40 minutes sitting in traffic is too much of a commute. Yet people are happy to do two hours up the motorway if they yeah. only have to do it twice, twice, yes. or, you know, twice a week or thereabouts. It, could that be one of the explanations for the almost disproportionate increase in Tipperary? Because t- Tipperary would be a fair hike if you were doing that to either Cork or Galway, or Dublin, you know, not Limerick, but um, certainly any of the other cities, if you were doing it every day, but if you were doing it once or twice a week, it's infinitely manageable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, as well, just on a slight change from that point, I know when we started seeing this first, so probably going back, certainly about 12 months ago, I remember talking to our agent down in Carlo and he was finding so it wasn't just people moving back to the area that may be grown up there he was finding and he gave me the example of a an eastern european couple is this harry southern yes exactly you know harry he took uh, courts one of the best agents in carlo Absolutely. And and funny, as I said, we ask all our agents to put in comments each three months in this survey. And there's always a good nugget from Harry, a good insight, I have to say, always. There's very few people who know their local marketplace. Their market, exactly. Living in it and and breathing it daily for so long. Exactly. But he highlighted this particular couple and they were going to have to commute up and down to Dublin every day. Now, Carlo to Dublin isn't so bad anyway. And Carlo where they the were, outskirts of Dublin. Yeah, so exactly. Bad. Exactly. One of them was going, I think, to City West and the other was going somewhere also, you know, they they were they were just hitting the traffic and they were there, you know, so that made a big difference to them. But for them to give an example, it was just the affordability. They had been looking in the area of around kind of Walkinstown and Crumlin before that. And they just realized for that kind of money, what they could get in a place like Carlo. And it was a commute that they could live with, you know, and um, admittedly further if, further afield, it is probably people who do not have to appear at their office on a day to day basis that are looking to buy. Um, well, let's take things a little closer to home because, as I mentioned at the start, you know, yes, you're the the spokesperson for REA on this particular report, but you're also um, working yourself there in Lucan. How are you finding the local marketplace there? Extremely busy with regards to demand, uh, extremely slim with regards to supply. I think it's the same thing can be echoed right around the country. We're probably fortunate in that it's not as extreme here because within a couple of miles in in almost every direction there is new home development going on to meet some of the demand and so it's probably not quite as as crazy as certain areas where we're not seeing any developments Dublin West has seen quite a decent amount in the surrounding area and but yeah it's 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 look it's competitive it's 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 busy it's uh it's all about getting the listings and then you know the sales are 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 following fairly rapidly thereafter we're finding the turnaround time is is quite low we had a meeting this morning here in our office to go through our properties and one of the properties is on the market about 
three weeks and we're nearly wondering why it hasn't sold yet. You know, there's there's active bidding on it, but it's just things are just moving so, so quickly. It's it's staggering. And then we had another one recently where, you know, the vendors wanted to put it up at a price that we thought was a little bit silly on the high side. <laughs> one viewing later and it's sale agreed, you know, at the, the the price that we, the professional, the valuers thought was silly. So it's it's very hard to, to kind of second guess the market because we're constantly being surprised by offers and prices that are being achieved for stuff. And, you know, it and 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 as well, Carol, it's hard to know where this is going to end unless they really ramp up um, the new home development. I know last night I was watching the news and our Minister for Housing indicated that it's really going to ramp up next, next year. And I really hope he's right because last year and this year, obviously there's been huge challenges with COVID. And then I know from talking to a developer, he said like, if we'd known how good the market was going to be, we would have plowed into things and when, when things reopened. But we just, there was such uncertainty. We put pause on certain developments that we planned. And so that's obviously really affected things. And I do think that will come on stream next year, but I don't think it'll make a huge difference. I, I, I was mentioning also that the, the figures of, of approvals for the summer summer months by the banks is just higher than possibly ever. Yeah. The numbers and, and, the, and the amounts being lent, and this is despite a rising market, which is only going to add to the whole thing, you know. You know, it, it, okay, there are so many different dynamics there that I want to ask you about. Um, you know, first of all, you mentioned low supply. You know, we've covered a lot on the show about new homes. Can you give me some insight into secondhand, um, the secondhand um, sellers? Are they nervous about letting people physically into their homes? Are they nervous about the marketplace? Yeah, that that was definitely the, the nerves about access to their home was definitely a factor. I think it's less so at the moment. Uh, but I'm sure there is a certain smaller percentage of, of people who feel very vulnerable, are very scared about the, the health risk and continue to avoid maybe making a move because of that. And that's quite understandable. But um, by and large, I think the majority of people are okay with it. They're aware that I suppose their property can be sold in a way that's quite safe from a health and safety point of view. Um, and, And I do think we're going to start to see more and more people coming to the market that maybe put put they were putting it off. I think the big thing that was putting people off was uncertainty. They were unsure of how well their own house would sell when COVID hit first because there, you know, look, I sat in my office last April 12 months thinking the whole the bottom was going to fall out of everything again. <laughs> and thankfully that didn't prove to be the case. So I'm sure an awful lot of people who plan to up sticks and maybe trade up said, well, no, no, let's wait and see what happens here now obviously we're all beginning to realize that the world is still turning the market is still good and people are realizing they can get very good prices for their house but on the flip side they just see a market that's manic and they're probably saying well look let's just stay out of this until things improve a little bit what will drive it though a little bit is the cost of construction and the awareness of the cost of construction. I think that will put off people extending and they'll decide, right, we need more space. We're going to have to move. And that might help bring a little bit more of the the smaller and mid-sized properties to the market for people trading up. But it's been a really funny time and, and definitely a lot of people have resisted bringing their properties to the market because of uncertainty. But... On the flip side, people we have sold for are the ones who used 
the opportunity of COVID to take stock and maybe, you know, move out to further afield because of lifestyle choices. And that's certainly brought a certain level to the market. But I, I do think as well, estate agents feel that the stock levels are really low purely because they're moving so quickly. But I think if any of us actually really look at our figures, we're probably selling the number of, a similar number of units to what we were doing pre-COVID. It, it, it's just at any one time less on your books because they're turning so quickly. That also sounds like maybe it's not requiring the same amount of hands-on work that might have gone into it previously. And I think every agent will know the feeling of being a busy fool. It happens in every industry, but unfortunately, estate agents really get the, the tough end of the stick there. And um, Barry, before we let you go, you know, you mentioned there, um, and, and, you know, this is one of the great things about not just being on radio, because actually now we're doing a video, I can actually see it in your face as well. You know, you talk about how at the start of COVID, it felt like the bottom was falling out of the market again. And the way you say again means you remember the same way I remember and so many estate agents remember that actually the crash was not so long ago. The recovery didn't come equally um, to all parts of the country and in it, for many parts of the country it certainly feels like um, estate agencies had only just got back into their rhythm when this when this happened and you know we often talk about this in terms of our construction industry and our property industry being so resilient but you can only be so resilient for so long you know as an estate agency owner you know how are you managing to go from, you know, through the crash into recovery and then this explosion in West Dublin, you know, that was just so, um, that, that probably made for a very busy time. And then we're into this uncertainty and now we're into a whole new new kind of environment that really nobody knows what to expect. How do you manage that as a business owner? Yeah, look, it can be exhausting <laughs> to say the very least. Mentally, it can be exhausting. I always remember my poor father saying, you know, uh, sometimes you'd be far more tired of, after a day selling than you would be a day working in a field, uh, digging or uh, picking up stones. But um, no, it can be quite a tiring industry and you take the blows and the blows take their toll. There's no doubt about it. But from, from the point of view of running a business, I suppose, look, we operate a by personnel size, quite a, a small practice here in West Dublin. I've always resisted the urge to expand in any major way. And that has probably helped me. I do wonder how the, the guys who run offices who take on a number of staff when the market gets good, that must be a real challenge to try and second guess what's coming down the tracks. Like at the moment, you know, the market is good. We're busy. We could probably do it an extra couple of pairs of hands. There's probably business there for us if we had the capacity. But, you know, the fear is, well, what conversation will we be having this time next year? Will the market outlook be as good? Because it can change so quickly based on government policy banking policy or, or or just the general even worldwide economy and the effects it can have on on the irish property market so there is definitely you know you kind of i suppose you try and learn to grow at a at a slow rate that you know you have you know the wherewithal to withstand shocks now certainly i i do think 
what happened around about 2008 to 2013, it must have driven so many people out of the industry, which is sad to see. It's changed the industry massively. I think anyone within nearly an hour of Dublin feels the effects where there's the big guys in Dublin doing the majority of certainly the commercial work and the new homework. Um, whereas, you know, if you went back 20 or 25 years, the smaller agency were getting some of the local meaty stuff. I know certainly we did, whereas nowadays our focus is almost entirely on the three-bed semi-business. And, and maybe happily so, I'm not sure, but you know, it, it, there's always these changes and you just have to adapt with them and, and, and go with it. But it can, be, it can be a little bit of a roller coaster at times. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. And uh, finally, Barry, just because the proposed regeneration of uh, West Dublin, um, mm. almost doubling the size, or, or sorry, more than doubling the size of Tala, um, is being proposed for a region that obviously is bordering on Lucan. You know, have you factored that into maybe some of the growth plans that, that uh, you have for the area or your, your expectations for the area? Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're constantly looking at what's coming down the tracks. And obviously, a number of years ago, we could see how Adamstown was going to come in. And, you know, as much as it was planned to be a standalone entity, to a large extent, Adamstown has been absorbed into Lucan. And, and nearly the address is now, you know, Adamstown, Lucan, as opposed to the original plan was it was going to be Adamstown, County Dublin. Um, and, 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 you know, that's been great for us because there's no doubt we could look at our numbers from last year and we've sold a good few units up in Adamstown and it's all helping to our turn going towards our turnover and our bottom line and we'll see the same now with the likes of Clumburris and other areas that, and, and we feel very fortunate I suppose as the longest serving estate agents in the Lucan area that we're there well placed to hopefully uh, pick up a lot of the business in those areas but with regards growing with it yeah for sure there's no doubt that hopefully as I kind of touched on there at a prudent level we would have plans to hopefully increase the size of our business the size of our workforce and the size please God of our turnover ultimately but um, it's trying to I think it's not so much trying to assess the quantum of new homes coming it's trying to assess I suppose the timeline and like Adamstown was meant to have been rolled out over, I think, a four year period. It's still going on 20 years later. And we know why, but I suppose you just don't want to jump the gun either. You want to be ready, but jump the gun. It's just trying to find that sweet spot. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose the final question I have for you there um, in terms of the wider REA network, uh, when you were were capturing insights from your members right across the country, did you capture maybe their expectations for their local markets over the next kind of six to twelve months? Yeah. So generally, I suppose, and again, this came up I, I, on a personal level. We were very lucky in West Dublin in that the market recovered from the really bad years a lot sooner than other more rural areas and as you say before COVID a lot of them were really only getting back to a functioning market in the last 12, 24 months before then so they've certainly seen a lot more downs than ups and uh, a lot of them would be looking to the future certainly with a large level of caution they do uh, embrace and appreciate this new phenomenon of the move to the countryside I know a lot of our agents as well around the country have benefited from being positioned in beautiful tourist type areas 
where they've captured a whole new level of audience of buyers coming in from abroad or all around the country. It's quite interesting. The whole staycation thing last year has really thrown open Ireland as a destination for people. And people, instead of jetting out to Portugal, are now looking to invest in a small house down in Kilmore Quay or Dungarvan or West Cork or wherever takes their fancy. So all of that has helped. And it's certainly we do look forward with confidence to the market. I do think another factor which gives us great confidence is the central bank lending rules and the effect that they've had that, you know, any homeowner should be a, a really strong buffer above negative equity, that it's, that shouldn't be an issue anytime soon for any of us. Thank God. So I do think we, we do generally look forward with quite a positive outlook on the way the market is, certainly in the short to medium term. Yeah. OK, that, that's all very positive to hear. And as somebody who is constantly trying to turn the property conversation so that it isn't so Dublin centric, uh, despite the fact that we're talking now in Dublin South FM, you know, I think it's really important that we're seeing that knock on effect for the regions as well and the regeneration of the regions. You know, it, yes. it's really positive development, I think, for Ireland as a whole uh, from a societal point of view. So thank you so much for joining us. That was Barry MacDonald of REA MacDonald in Lucan. We'll be back after a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM Welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with myself Carol Tallon You can contact us on social media at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com We're now joined by Marcus Pavari founder and CEO of Hyperin uh, Hyperin is a retail tech platform and I have to say I came across Marcus when we were uh, delivering PropTech talks somewhere in Eastern Europe we think it was in Latvia and um, uh, going back two years, Marcus, as mentioned to you before we came on air, I was blown away by a presentation you gave um, looking at one particular project um, in Asia. But before we get into that, you're very welcome to the show. And you might just tell us a little bit about Hyperin. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Carol. I'm glad to be here. So Hyperin is the more management platform for for retail real estate. So we offer all the tools that you need in order to, to run your uh, shopping centers on a on an everyday basis. And um, the company has been uh, growing well. We are very strong in here in Europe and, and also have uh, active users, over 200 shopping malls, malls in, in, in Asia and Europe and, and also have a representation in North America and, and Middle East. So we are growing. And uh, I'm also happy to tell you some of the insights of the of, 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 of the industry right now. Companies we're seeing a lot of in Europe recovering from the COVID from 2020. And and uh, um, just glad to be here and finally uh, finally seeing some physical meetings already happening in the industry. Yeah, look, we're getting back to it and hopefully soon we'll be back to doing our speaking on the circuits and I'll run into you somewhere, whether it's in Europe or Asia, we'll run into each other again soon, which I hope. Um, right. So you, you mentioned there in terms of the company, um, so you've got a nice foothold there. Your headquarters is in Finland, but you've got a nice foothold across the Middle East and North America. The company is only established since 2008. So you've had great traction. A lot, a lot of what we're going to talk about, you know, maybe um, will be will be dictated a little bit by COVID. But actually, retail was one of the sectors of real estate that was massively impacted. Um, and in fact, it was one of the first areas where the need for prop tech was recognized. So you might just take us back to some of the early days. How did you get into uh, retail tech? 
Well, that's an excellent question, actually, going back to the memory lane. When we started in, in 2008, shopping centers were mostly built as a long hallways, and you had the actual shopping center offices in the basement level, so there was sometimes even no internet connectivity at the time. So it was actually very challenging to provide these tenant engagement services or even simple tools for sales reporting, which is one of the most most popular features that we have on our platform. And, and nowadays, of course, you have the large mobile phone displays with 5G internet connections. So you can have your all the services available through mobile internet apps. And um, it's a totally different different game. But back then, it used to be all about location, location, and location. And due to the COVID, it's more about the technology, technology, technology. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting transition. And, you know, it, it's so funny because COVID has dominated um, so much of the real estate response and um, technology. And it's been attributed to really driving technology uh, across construction and property and property management. But the reality is... Um, retail was causing was a, a point of concern for almost a decade before COVID hit. So you might just because you have the benefit of such extensive global experience, you might just talk to us. Say, um, you know, I mentioned there that I'd heard you present on one particular case study. Um, I think that was based in was that Singapore? I think it it was Hong Kong when we talked uh, talked about that case in 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 PropTech event with 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 where, where we met last time and uh, yeah we we did a project for the uh, uh, Mass Transportation Corporation in Hong Kong the MTR so if you ever or the listeners have been ever in Hong Kong they know the subway system there because it's kind of the the standard default uh, service that you need to use to 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 go anywhere on the on the island. Uh, or, or the or the mainland. So um, we did them a footfall uh, analytics slash mobile loyalty applications. So actually, MTR as a as a corporation, they're not just uh, the world's leading mass transportation service provider. They're also a major landlord in Hong Kong greater area. So they have capitalized their their uh, subways and bus stations by building retail areas on 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 top of them. So when customers are entering or exiting exiting their uh, mass transportation services, they need to actually go through the retail area. So those customers are are, are converted into shoppers. And um, when we addressed the MTR for the first time, they just wanted to have a very simple mobile loyalty applications where they can actually reward their consumers uh, by spending time uh, in the mass transportation system or in the retail area. And they wanted to also have anonymously track uh, track and data statistics from those users that they know actually how they spend their time in the retail area and what products and services they are browsing so they can better uh, offer their offer their uh, tenant mix for this uh, for this particular segments. Of, of certain age and certain gender and and improve the services overall and and at the at the same time they are able to offer indoor navigation with beautiful 3d maps and nowadays even actually augmented reality based maps and these wearable technology devices such as apple watches so uh, the technology is really evolving there fast as as in asia you need to be very very top of the game offer these different consumer experiences and, and the shopping malls, as you know, they are huge and, and offer these kind of different lifestyle 
lifestyle experiences and destinations. So uh, it's very competitive market right there. Yeah, you, you touched on a couple of really important points there that I want to maybe explore. Um, so one of them is, you know, you refer to the term um, mobile loyalty. So, it's, um, you know, one of the early iterations of this we saw maybe, gosh, a decade and a half ago might have been um, when you were within range of a shop, you might get a text message. And then we ran into privacy issues. So you've absolutely address that technology has moved on, you know, and it's much more sophisticated now. But actually, so too are our uh, privacy laws and expectation. So how does this, I know you mentioned anonymized data, but how does this sit um, globally kind of with privacy and changing privacy expectations? Well, that's a very good point. Again, um, the privacy is the most important thing in this business. And um, as we, li- we are living in, in, in the European Union, uh, we have the most strict privacy regulations in the world. And the world is not that much different in, in Hong Kong or Singapore. Uh, you still have those kind of an, uh, uh, cookie texts and end user license agreements that you need to accept and sign and nobody actually reads them very correctly, but uh, big companies like Facebook still do what they do about collecting consumer information. But um, the the real trick is to do it um, in an un- customer friendly way. So it doesn't kind of um, uh, annoy the consumer user experience, but at the same time, uh, you need to provide the, the, the customer the privacy they need and, and also make them understand what kind of consent they are giving to your service. So that is the most most important thing right now, that um, we need to innovate these new kind of services, but we need to make sure that they are, are uh, uh, um, give the right privacy uh, to, to customers based on their consent, and also uh, don't mix the, the customer user experience that much with these kind of uh, legal text and cookie policies. So kind of make them more user-friendly ways, I think the key, and that's certainly the goal that we are aiming for. Yeah, and look, and to be fair, there is a fine balance there. And we know that people are uh, particularly aware of their rights under data privacy. And obviously, uh, as you point out, um, the EU has the single strictest um, data data policies um, in terms of personal privacy. However, we do know, for example, North America, uh, states across North America are very much looking to Europe to establish what best practice um, is likely to be. So it's not a case that we're overshooting. It's a case that maybe other jurisdictions will likely um, will likely rise up to meet us. Um, in terms of the analytics, you know, you mentioned there the quality of the analytics, the range, they've certainly evolved in line with technologies um, and including wayfinding. You know, it's very exciting if you can bring in immersive technologies to, to follow with that. But one of the things I'm really interested in is to how to make a compelling case for um, shopping uh, shopping center operators or commercial property operators try to make the commercial case. So, you know, you've, you've uh, mentioned previously that actually the result of this can be exploring new revenue sources, which is critical for retail at the moment. Can you go into some detail about maybe how uh, the right 
um, the right interpretation of of data and understanding that and the right interrogation of that data can actually open up new data sources. Sorry, new revenue sources. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are kind of uh, something that can be obtained through the big data or even footfall analytics. So I just give you a short example. For example, the the the, the case in Hong Kong, which we talked previously. So while the MTR gives these rewards to their consumers. Uh, allowing them to give their consent for the anonymized data uh, so they can build a data picture uh, with, for example, floor map and heat maps on top of them from their facilities or properties. And, and then they can see where people are going. And and, and if there's, for example, a, a lot of uh, high traffic uh, in certain floors, uh, but they, they can also check from our platform the sales reporting uh, from these tenant shops and they can see a lot of traffic, but there's no tenant sales. So there might be a problem with the tenant mix. So the commercial management can do evasive actions based on the real-time data. And, and also on top of those, those data models, um, you can also have the specialty leasing sales, meaning the advertisement sales, sales and e-commerce um, features uh, available in the, in, 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 through our, our products and services. So, uh, based on the browsing data coming from various sources, such as the mobile loyalty applications or even Google Analytics, you can actually uh, find out what kind of products and services your consumers are looking from your properties. And then you can actually offer better services to, to uh, address uh, those important customer segments uh, by offering, for example, specialty leasing promotional places for certain companies, to have physically physical appearances uh, on the on the floor floor areas, or then you can also invest on the, the click and collect points, or in a, even in the e-commerce side. But uh, the bottom line is that you need to know your consumers. So I see uh, many companies um, asking for us right now are how do we get the big data? And the question I always always answer is that uh, what do you want to achieve with the big data? So do you want to know your customers better or do you want to go to the e-commerce side or or, or as, as many these projects that the, the physical retail wants to transform into e-commerce don't work because they try to offer the same kind of products and services that they're not selling well right now online, which uh, is not, not happening as, as the competition is online even 100 times harder than in the physical side so so connecting the physical and digital retail real estate uh in a smart way is, is is what we are actually offering to our customers to to know their consumers to know their target audience first and then takes these first steps in order to to boost up the commercial management or e-commerce or specialty leasing sales so with specialty leasing and advertisement sales uh, uh platform customers can even achieve a 10 percent annual revenue growth coming from non-rental sources, making a really good way to recover from those losses from 2020 in certain tenant areas. Actually, that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting one. So we might just go a little bit deeper on that. I mean, you make a very good point in terms of, you know, marrying the online or the e-commerce along with the brand's physical presence and that there is a lot more competition online um, to get eyes on the brand. However, offline within the shopping center or on the main shopping area, 
there's a premium to be paid for that, an exceptionally high cost, much higher, arguably, than online, even with very expensive platforms and um, and uh, maximizing digital reach. You're still paying a massive premium to be in a bricks and mortar store. How are your clients, how have they fared over the past um, 18 to 20 months of COVID? I think uh, the situation is a bit different in Europe or in Asia, uh, North America, Middle East. Every market is, is kind of opening a little bit differently. In China, in Hong Kong, Singapore, the Chinese tourists are still missing from the luxury malls. So uh, in Asia, many customers are looking actually to, to have more efficient management solution just for this everyday management as the salary level there is not so high, they had had no problems before just hiring new people to run the shopping malls with emails and phone calls and spreadsheets, the normal management management process. But now they're looking for kind of the, 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 the mall management software solutions such as Hyperin to, to make them the management more efficient and, and let the actual management people to, to uh, uh, the manage the company instead of doing this, this, this manual reporting. In, in the shopping centers. And uh, in, in Europe, uh, mostly companies are looking to recover from 2020 uh, revenue-wise. So a lot of these specialty leasing, online sales, e-commerce projects. So uh, every market seems to be recovering a little bit same, but the, the good news is that in all markets, the people are slowly returning to uh, the physical retail brick and mortar as the revenue of the, the traditional retailers are, are actually growing, even in the United States, which has been a kind of a decreasing market through the e-commerce and Amazon and the, the, the big companies taking over, especially during the COVID times. But now I think what I'm seeing uh, and hearing is that people want to go out and they want to have these lifestyle destinations and they want to meet people. So as you know, people are physical animals. They need to be... the they need to meet together and 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 have a time time outside the home for a while. So I think it's going to be a positive turn after all. Yeah, you know, um, there, there's so much and what you've said there. I, the, the reality is, you know, you touched on the growth of Amazon and other um, e-commerce retailers like that. You know, uh, just today in Ireland, uh, we had a report issued that the logistics and the industrial side of our commercial real estate. Um, is that a 20 year low in terms of vacancy? So as in, you know, we're, we've got the best occupancy across logistics and warehousing that we've had over the past two decades. However, retail is still feeling very much like it's in flux. Um, so we've had a situation here in Ireland where it, we're still we still haven't resolved what's going to happen between you know uh, retailers that were closed down or restricted over the past you know year and a half almost two years um, in terms of rates uh, rents um, they have run into arrears we've got cases going through the commercial courts and you know obviously as you would expect to hear in such cases like that the retailers are reporting exceptionally low turnovers in these previously considered prime locations. And it feels like um, this isn't a new struggle because of COVID. This feels like a trend that was building. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in what you're doing is that you're helping the retailers to create a more experiential model. And I think we've known for the past 
definitely six or seven years that this is the way retailers need to go. But there's some, there's some, is it a resistance that they're not getting there? Um, you know, it, it hasn't happened yet. The transition hasn't happened. And for all of our talk about technology, you know, you mentioned there that in terms of the objective of the of the insights, it's to know your customer. And I feel like if we were give, if, if somebody was to open a shop 100 years ago, they would have been given the advice, know your customers. So actually, the core of retail hasn't changed at all. Just what we need to know about people has become so much more sophisticated. So exactly. What are the, you know, what's next? You know, that's a big question, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking advantage of the fact that you have this global, um, this global experience that you can see trends that are far ahead of Ireland and the UK. So is it a fair question to ask you, like, what's next in terms of retail trends? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of a million dollar question. So um, uh, I wish we could know, but what we are seeing right now is the, the 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 kind of the new era after COVID? So, um, few of the the retail real estate developers are definitely moving into this hybrid model of serving both e-commerce and physical customers, and 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 um, I think that's the the right approach to 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 move on, just to have those click and collect points ready, because uh, you never know what the next COVID might might hit you. So in a way, moving into this hybrid model, I think is is the right way to go. But but still the brick and mortar has its advantages that the physical appearance, the lifestyle destinations, the restaurants, uh, the entertainment, not just uh, the retail side, but at the same time, the retail mix needs to be very competitive. So uh, I think the retailers themselves need to adopt to this new normal. And, and and offer the the kind of products and services products and services that you wouldn't necessarily um, can experience or or get online very fast. We're also seeing this worldwide uh, logistics yeah, challenges. So so especially the Christmas market is coming. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you might be more easier. To, to get your Christmas gifts this year from the actual brick and mortar stores instead of ordering online. So, so there's a lot of different different um, scenarios here, uh, the, the climate uh, crisis, the energy crisis. So it all comes down to, the, to together to, to address this question, where are we heading? And I, I think the technology has been there, like with Hyprint to, to go into different sectors to better serve and know your consumers, but I, I guess at the end of the day, the consumers will do the decision how they want to 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 um, visit the uh, visit the uh, visit the retailers in the future, whether it's a virtual hybrid model or or or, or, or the physical traditional model. But I think, and and according to all of the kind of industry analytics, is going to be a kind of a mixed model. Yeah, you know. We hear the term new normal a lot, but I think it is more a case of the next normal, you know, a, the next iteration of retail. Um, and, you know, th- that was a big question to ask you. But my final question is may ho- hopefully not not such a big one, but what's next for Hyperin? Well, uh, we are growing with customer revenues right now. And actually, that's a good point to announce that we already uh, 
have been looking to publicly offer the the the, the company to uh, uh, outside shareholders as an initial public offering, most li- likely in to be conducted uh, by the end of the year 2025 in Helsinki, Finland, Nasdaq, OMX stock exchange in the north first north market. So that's going to be the next goal for us as a company. And and in, in between, of course, we are uh, improving our 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 uh, uh, retail real estate developer customers worldwide to better adjust to the new normal and to increase their commercial management efficiency and their their, their sales and, and consumer knowledge. So that's, I guess, the big picture of what's happening. Well, that's, that's a big picture. It's also big ambition, which we love to hear. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, we'll definitely che- check in with you on the way. Have to ask, because you're, you're in the rounds of thinking about an initial public offering, uh, did you consider the SPAC route, which has been so popular um, across PropTech startups over the past um, two years? Well, we, we had some um, um, experience in our previous companies and success. So we have been kind of bootstrapping our way, growing with customer revenues, having few investors to back us up in the beginning. So we have been kind of the companies now uh, very self-efficient and is 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 managing itself very well with our advisory board and and with the current investors. So in a way, we we kind of wanted to have a little bit different route than uh, growing with investor money because we didn't want or we wanted to kind of uh, be there for our early adopters and 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 also grow as they are growing in terms of retail real estate. So. It's been a kind of a hard work for us, but it's it's starting to slowly pay off. That that's what we love to hear. Thank you so much. That was Marcus Pavari, founder and CEO of Hyperin. And that's thank you, Carol. Thank you. And that's it from us this week. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound. We're back at the same time next week. For myself, Carol Town, and all the team here, stay safe.